Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I'm uh, fired up this morning to bring God's word. I, I don't feel really great today, but, uh, but I'm excited about getting to preach the next three weeks and bring you a series called Must See TV, where in essence what I'm doing is taking uh, the titles of uh, shows that are either currently airing or shows that have aired in the, uh, the recent past uh, and going to parallel those, the names of those shows, with some biblical truths that God is still seeking to have us apply to our lives on a daily basis, especially for those who call themselves believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I'm going to kick this week off by uh, kind of highlighting a show called Lost. You may be familiar with the show, you may not. It it aired uh, several years ago and is now off the air, but it basically chronicles the life of the passengers of Oceanic Flight 815 who were on their way from Sydney, Australia to Los Angeles. And in that flight, they crashed and ended up on this deserted island that was uh, haunted, if you will, and had some weird junk that went on uh, there. But, But really the plot of the show is that these passengers found themselves that they had to do one of two things. They either had to live together or die alone. And so their whole mindset was focused on getting away from the deserted island, the crash site, and getting back to be reconciled with their previous life. And so we're going to look at that this morning in the life of the believer and look at it from, from our life and what it means for, for sometimes for us to be lost and then looking to be reconciled with Jesus. I just want to start the morning by quoting Luke 19, and uh, you're familiar with this. This is Jesus here talking to a bunch of Pharisees and scribes, and, and basically he's just laying it out of who he came to save. And he says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm extremely thankful for that this morning. I'm, th- I'm thankful for the fact that Jesus didn't come seeking those who didn't need a physician. He didn't come seeking those who were already in a good, righteous state, but he came seeking those who were sick and lost. And I'm so thankful for that personally in my life because I was the chief of those who were lost and sinners. And I'm so thankful that God in his redeeming mercy came and looked for me. So these three parables I'm going to cover this morning are ones that you are familiar with. If you've grown up in church, as many of us have You have heard these stories. You've heard these parables that Jesus used to convey this message of what it means to be reconciled to those that you were lost from. Let's begin looking in Luke chapter 15. We're going to read two of the parables to start with this morning. I'll begin reading in verse 1 and we'll go through verse 10. Let's read it together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. He said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Amen? That's good. And then he goes on to tell this parable of the lost coin. And he says in verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is making an illustration here, and he's covering really two different types of lostness here, if you will. He's covering one that covers the wandering soul. So there's many of us who, as believers, we have uh, believed in Jesus and we have committed our lives to follow him, but we find ourselves sometimes in our paths wandering from that path that Jesus has set us on. Sometimes we look and we see greener pastures. Amen? Somebody done that before? See some greener pastures on the other side? You go chasing greener pastures and you find out that those pastures are not quite as green and plush as you thought they were, right? Right? Sometimes we go, though, and we go looking and seeking these other places. And here Jesus used this illustration. He's talking to men here, and he says, Listen, how many of you have a sheep in your fold that gets lost, and you don't leave those who are there, who are behaving themselves, if you will, who are still in the flock, if you will. You lead them, and you go seek that sheep who is lost, who is wandering, who has by choice wandered away from the flock. Now, I know all of you are very spiritual people. I know you all have it all together, and this has never happened to you. But can I tell you that it's happened to me? In my walk with Jesus, I found myself seeking acceptance, seeking pleasure, seeking the things of the world in every area other than where Jesus is. And you may or may not have found yourself in that position, but can I tell you, if you haven't, if you're one of the 99 who stayed obedient and has stayed loyal to Jesus' side, good for you. I'm not one of those people. I found myself wandering from time to time, seeking acceptance and, and pleasure and worldly things in every area other than where Jesus is. But can I tell you this morning? That there is no satisfaction that can be found anywhere but at the feet of the Savior Jesus. So he addresses this wandering soul here. But then he he brings it a little closer and he says, what about this busy soul? Boy, this may hit all of us hard. What about this busy soul? What about this person who has found everything in the world to do rather than to maintain their relationship with Jesus? See, this woman had 10 coins and, and in the shuffle and the busyness of everyday life, one of them came up missing. It wasn't a choice of the coin. The coin doesn't have a choice, does it? The sheep has a choice. It went off, but the coin doesn't have a choice. The coin got lost in the everyday busy shuffle of life. And so many of us today find ourselves in this category. We find ourselves overwhelmed with the busyness of life. Come on, somebody. We find ourselves overwhelmed by the busyness of life. I find myself sitting down sometimes after a busy day or after a a busy week. I find myself sitting down and just thinking, ah, man, it's good just to rest for just a second. But really, it's not because I had a lot of stuff to do. It's because I had a lot of stuff that I chose to do instead of furthering my walk with Jesus. Now, we may all have found ourselves in that position. But can I tell you that there is acceptance and joy in the finding of the one coin? There's joy in finding that you have a relationship, once again, with the king of all kings. You have a relationship and a reunited uh, relationship with Jesus. And I want you to notice here the emphasis in both of these stories is not on the fact that they were lost. The joy is in the finding. Don't miss that. The joy is in the finding. 
I want you to see here, the sorrow of loss is outweighed by the joy of finding. You ever lost something? Ever lost a relationship? Let me just tell you a really quick story. I don't have a lot of time today because this message is long, okay? I don't have a lot of time, but I feel like I'm going to tell the story. One time, my wife's uh, grandfather bought me a case knife for Christmas. A little pocket knife, really nice pocket knife. And I carried that thing around with me everywhere. And one day, um, I got home and I went to empty out my pockets and that knife wasn't there. And so I did what all men do, and I went and accused my wife of putting it somewhere that it wasn't supposed to be. (laughs) And then she said, "Uh, I haven't touched your knife. And I said, yes, you have. It's always right here, and it's always in my pocket. It's not there. And so anyways, after I got out of the doghouse, I came to realize that, uh, that I had probably misplaced it somewhere. And so I'm not joking. I spent literally about four months looking for this knife. Couldn't find it anywhere. And one day... I was sitting in my recliner at the house, and, and I don't know if it was divine intervention or what, but I'm not joking you, just out of the blue, I ran my hand down the side of that recliner, and guess what was there? That knife. And then when I pulled it out, I was so excited, and I took it to my wife, and I said, see, I told you you hid it from me. No, I took it to her, and I said, look, I found that knife that your granddaddy gave me. It's so sentimental and special to me, and I found it. I was so excited, and the joy wasn't in uh, the fact that I had gotten the knife at one time. There was sorrow in the loss, but listen, when I found it, joy was in the finding. Joy was in the finding, and I'm so excited about that today. And this speaks so beautifully to the nature of God. It speaks so beautifully to the redemptive quality of God. It speaks so beautifully to his steadfast love that Gabe just read about in Psalm 107. It speaks so beautifully of who he is and the joy that he takes in not only pursuing those who are lost, but in finding those who are lost. I'm so thankful we have a pursuant God. I'm so thankful we have a God who is full of steadfast love. Micah uh, says this in chapter 7 and verse 18. He says, who is a God like you? I love that. We could take a lot away from that, couldn't we? We could worship in that fact this morning, couldn't we? Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever to that I am thankful. Are you this morning? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. What a Savior we serve. Amen. Notice here, too, that Jesus don't just speak to the men. He speaks to the women, too. And listen, culturally in that day, that was unacceptable. But it goes to show the steadfastness of the love that God has for all of his children and how he is willing to relentlessly pursue them, no matter their gender, no matter their status, their status in life, no matter where you're at, he is committed to coming and finding you. There's three things I want you to just take away from these two parables that we've read already. Three things that I want you to take away from this. The first is this. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. No matter your condition, no matter your choices, no matter your gender, no matter your status in life, you are valuable to him. He created you. You ever made something? I got another little story for you. 
for Christmas uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, we go over to my father-in-law's house, and we have Christmas over there. It's a big Christmas, big Christmas, all right? My father-in-law believes in Christmas, loves Christmas, all right? I love it that he loves Christmas because we get a lot of stuff, all right? I'm just being honest with you. They ask for a list, I give them a list. I mean, a list, right? Get what you want on of it. I don't care. Here's the stuff, right? So we go over there, and we exchange a bunch of gifts. I got a pressure washer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that means? Spring's going to be fun. <laughs> I got all these big gifts, you know. I'm so excited. And we bought lots of gifts and give them out, you know. But at the end of the night, there was a gift that uh, my little boy wanted to give his granddaddy. And it was a toolbox that he had made in shop class. And I dare say it stole the night. When they broke that out, there was tears. Everybody was happy, clapping, you know, because he had made it. He took joy in that. And listen, the recipient of it took joy in it because it was made. But God feels that way about us. He has made us. He has orchestrated who we are very uniquely and very intently. And so he takes value in you. You are valuable to him. The second thing I want you to know is this, that he knows your struggle today. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Don't miss that. He has been tempted as we are, we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Can I tell you this morning, he knows where you're at. It doesn't matter where it is. You say, you don't understand, Pastor, I, I'm in a dark, dark place right now. Jesus knows. Jesus encountered the devil face to face. And can I tell you this, he whipped his butt. And he did it with the power of the word. Listen, he was saturated in the word. He was without sin. The Bible is very clear there. It says that he faced every temptation that you do, yet without sin. And what that tells us is it's possible through Jesus. So no matter where you're at right now, you understand that he knows your struggle. And he knows what you're facing. And he knows and understands the condition that you're in. But he's still calling you to return. He's still seeking you. He's still knocking. Third thing is this. You're not too far gone. You're not too far gone. Don't you believe a lie the devil's telling you, saying, listen, where you're at is way too far for Jesus to ever forgive. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. You're not too far from him. Can I tell you this? That his arm is not shortened to save. But no matter where you're at, he can reach to the deepest parts. He can reach to the depths to find those who he is seeking. So we looked at these two parables that outline kind of this closer area type of lost, if you will. So I want to look at one more parable that cuts really to the core of where many of us are. And many of us find ourselves today, and that's lost relationally because of sin. Would you continue reading with me in in verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. 
And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Can I just stop right there? I just want to make this, this, this kind of analogy here or this, or this point, if you will. That we're seeking sometimes separation from God. You say, hold on, dude. Nobody in his right mind is doing that. Yes, you are. Yes, I am. There are times in our lives when we are actually seeking separation from God. Just like this son here went to his father seeking a clean break, seeking uh, as his father was dead. He basically went to his dad and said, hey, bud, I wish you were dead. And now if you're dead, I want everything that's coming to me. And sometimes we take that approach to God. Sometimes we choose to walk away from God, and we go seeking other things in life. It's not the wise thing to do, but sometimes we know the wise thing to do, and we choose not to do it. Sometimes we choose to walk away. We choose to make a break. We choose to look for things in other areas of life. It's not wise, but sometimes we do it. This guy does it as well. Verse 13, now many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. Don't miss that. He went to another zip code, to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. I'm going to stop right there just to tell you this. This dude goes off. He gets a big chunk of cash. He gets some possessions. He goes and takes it to another zip code. And he begins to what we used to refer to in the late 80s and 90s as party hardying. And he got with whoever his buddies were because he had money. He went to wherever the, the high-class individuals were. He got him a stretched limo. He bounced up in there with all the gold on that he needed. Right? And he, he looked like he had it all together. And he went and he lived lavishly. He lived high on the hog. <laughs> no pun intended because he's supposed to be with him. He went and lived a, a lavish, extravagant life for a short period of time, but it didn't take long until sin began to show its consequences. I want to warn you about something going into 2019, okay? Sin has severe consequences. I've heard it said like this, and, and I want you to really focus on this. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go. Go look and, and talk to some of the people that are in jail or in prison and, and, ask, and ask them, did you intend, did you start out intending to end up here? And the answer 10 times out of 10 will be absolutely not. But a little, little bit of sin began to creep in. In our lives, when we end up in a lost and dark spot, and we don't know where we're at or how we got there, when you go back and you start to look at the beginning of the, of the deterioration, you see that it was just a little bit that began to take you further and further away from God. It'll take you further than you wanted to go. And there's another thing it'll do. It'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Listen, I 
right now am mindful of someone that I have a personal relationship with in my life who is so blinded by their sin that they are making some of the most ignorant choices. And you look at it and say, even uh, anyone, even a sinful man could see that you're making pitiful, poor choices right now that are leading you further and further away from everything that you love. But the problem is it's creeped in and it's taken him further and further and further away from God and it's further than he wanted to go or intended to go. But sin will take you further than you wanted to go. It'll, take, it'll keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And the third thing it'll do is this, and I can attest to this. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Sometimes will cost you everything. Look at David. Those who are, who are caught in the middle of some mess sometimes in their lives are so quick to point to David. Well, look at David. He was a man after God's own heart, and he committed adultery and murder. But can I tell you this? That the sword never left his house. He lost a baby because of it. There were consequences to his sin far above what he was wanting to pay. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that there are consequences to your sin. In fact, in 1 John, God tells us this through his word. He says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Could we stop seeking pleasure in the world? Listen, I'm concerned for myself in this. Sometimes I've, I find myself, I'm reading a book right now called Dangerous Calling by Paul David Tripp. And listen, it is the most convicting book I've ever read because it illuminates some things that a pastor struggles with. We're not any different from you. We struggle with these things. I struggle sometimes seeking uh, acceptance from the world. Please, can I beg you this morning, stop seeking pleasure there. Stop seeking acceptance there. And we continue with verse 17 of Luke chapter 15. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Two things to notice here. Two things to notice. The first one says when he came to himself. When he had a realization, if you will, revelation, if you will, that occurred through the Holy Spirit. You know what they say? The recovery, the first step to recovery is what? Is admitting it's admitting or recognizing that you have a problem. There's conviction there. If you're a child of God this morning, you're convicted because of your sin. Take heed to that. Come to yourself. And the second thing is that he confessed. He decided, I will confess. Confession is absolutely imperative. It's critical to reconciliation. Confession is imperative or critical to reconciliation. Romans 10 tells us this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is what? Saved. And in Psalms 32, 
The psalmist says, I acknowledged my sin to you and, it, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And God, you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. Well, that's good, isn't it? That's good news this morning. God, you forgave me. Salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation happens with confession. All right, and then the result of Luke chapter 15 and verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. <coughs> Excuse me. But while he was still a long way off, I love that. He didn't have to nuzzle right back up next to daddy to be found. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father stopped in there. And said to his servants, you go and bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Come on, there's celebration in the finding. Celebration in the finding. He looked and found him a long way off, and he had compassion on him. And when the son went to run to the father, the, run, the, the father went and ran to the son and met him and threw his arms around him and said, you're not a servant to me. You're still a son. I love you, and we're going to celebrate because you're found. Come on, man. Goodness gracious, somebody. Verse 25 says this. <laughs> this is a little, little gut check for us. Now, his older son was in the field where he's supposed to be. He was in the 99. He ain't gone anywhere. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard the celebration, and he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what is this? Verse 27, and he said to him, your brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. Verse 28 through 32 gets overlooked a lot in this parable as the you know, main event is unfolded and reconciliation has occurred. But I don't want you to miss this part. The prodigal here was in dire need of grace. Can, can somebody tell me what grace is? unmerited favor unmerited what does unmerited mean it means you didn't earn it it means you actually earned the opposite of that grace means that you earned death and was given life and this prodigal here was in dire need of grace in a moment in his life when his little brother had been lost and once again was found, there was no rejoicing in the older son. No rejoicing in the fact that a dead life was alive again. 
But sometimes we as the church are guilty of the same thing. Sometimes we as the church put our selfish desires above grace. I, I think about a lot of times how we see people who come into the church who are not the church type. Who don't look as churchy as some of the others that are here. Who may not have as many goods or, or um, resources as some of those who are here already. I think about uh, those that maybe are in a very, very difficult season of their life. And how they come in the door sometimes and they are beaten and broken down. And how often are we guilty to continue piling on the punches? Instead of extending grace, instead of looking at them and loving them and realizing that they are in a desperate spot in their life, maybe you and I should, should incorporate in our lives the words of John Bradford. I don't know if you know this or not, but, but John Bradford, as he watched a group of prisoners being led to execution, he uttered these words, but by the grace of God, there go John Bradford. And can I tell you that no matter where you're at and what condition you see people in, you can apply that to that situation where you can look at whatever they're in and say, but by the grace of God, there am I. Listen, I, I look all the time, I see on the news all the time, these, these people who are doing these just unfathomable things. They're so marred up as this friend I told you about that I'm personally uh, connected with that is so far in his sin right now. He's blinded to everything around him. But I can look at that situation and say, but by God's grace, it's me. And by God's grace, but by God's grace, it's you. Listen, we haven't done anything that earns anything. In fact, the Bible says that our most righteous state, the most righteous that we can be, is filthy rags. And there's an interpretation in that that you don't want me to say from the stage. It's filthy rags. Our best is filthy rags. But I can tell you this, that the Savior makes us worthy. The Savior's blood that was spilt for us that I'll talk a little more about next week, makes us worthy. He makes us to where when God looks at us, he don't see the mess that we're in. He don't see the lost state that we're in. What he sees is the blood of his son, which makes us worthy. And can I tell you this, that the joy is in the finding. Maybe today you're here and, and you're just flat out lost. No direction, no purpose, no reason, just lost. Maybe you find yourself searching for answers in every place in the world. Maybe you seek opportunity and popularity and unsustainable highs and success and wealth and worldly things, and, and, and you're still lost. Can I tell you today that God loves you so much that not only does he welcome you to come to him, <clears throat> but he's seeking you. He's diligently seeking you. And for him, the joy is in the finding. 
Maybe you're here today and you're just wondering. You're a wandering soul. You've seen some greener pastors. You think, man, it looks pretty lush over there. It looks like a lot better foliage than it's over here. I'm going to wander a little bit and check it out. God has given you all that he had to have you in that fold. But when we wander sometimes, he's willing to leave the 99 and almost with reckless abandonment chase after you. I'm so thankful for that truth today. I'm so thankful that at one time in my life, God came seeking me. God came looking for me. I tried to run from him. I found out this truth can't outrun God. Can't outrun him. When he finds you, ask Jacob, no matter how much you struggle with him, no matter how bad you try to rip yourself away from him, he'll hogtie you until you, ho- until you holler calf rope. He'll get on you and stay on you. And there was a time that he pushed me all the way to a point where I could say nothing else but yes. And I'm so thankful that even in my walk as a believer, when I tend to wander, that he comes chasing. And sometimes with the crook of his staff, he reaches and jerks. I know that that is because he loves me and that his joy is in the finding. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those that are lost. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Aren't you thankful for that? Revelation 3, I'd be be, uh, shallow not to share this. Revelation 3, the end is coming. And listen what God said through his servant John on the Isle of Patmos in verse 19. He said, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Even with that crook in the staff, sometimes when he has to reach and jerk it hard, we know it's because God loves us. Those I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's so imperative this morning. If you have an ear to hear, can I encourage you this morning to hear what the Spirit says to the church today? Don't stay in your condition. God is consistently looking, seeking, and knocking to have a relationship with you. What are you going to do with that today? Who is a God like you? I'm so thankful for the love of God this morning. And I pray as we ask the worship team to come up and to close out the service, I pray that you do business with God today. Maybe you're wandering. Maybe you're lost. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come to the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you today, and we thank you that your love is steadfast. God, we glory in the fact this morning that you have not given up on us. But God, even in the wandering, even in the lost state, 
Your joy is in the finding. God, I'm so thankful this morning for your precious grace and your mercy. And God, that in times in my life, when I've chosen purposefully to wander, I've made conscious decisions to wander. God, that you have lovingly sought me out, seeking me with due diligence, looking to capture me. And though it may take a staff with a crook on the end that you take and you put it around my neck and jerk me back into the fold, God, you get me there and you say that you reprove and love those whom you have called. And so, God, today we recognize that there are some of us that are just flat out lost. Would you illumine our hearts and our minds to your love and your mercy today, God? Would you pour out your grace on us today to come and become a member of your family, to trust in you with all that we have, to give ourselves to following you? And for those who are your believers today that have wandered to greener pastures, God, would you arrest our hearts? Would you take the staff and put the crook around our necks and jerk us back into the fold, God? Maybe today, God, it takes you just lovingly taking us and throwing us on your shoulders and walking back. But whatever methods you use, God, you're right in it, and we trust you in it. God, I pray that your word doesn't return void today. But God, that it penetrates our hearts and our lives. And to you be all the glory and honor in Jesus' name.